Welcome back to Incremental, the continuous improvement podcast. This is our concepts edition for the week. I'm Devin Bedoni. And I'm Uriel Eisen. And I hit us with the quote. Little quote, operation sensitive and process blind. Um, heard this, we went to the show and done uh, in Portland. This was Willie over at Bike Friday. A bike show. I think he was quoting someone and I don't know the source, but operation sensitive process blind basically technicians tend to be operation sensitive so how can i drill this hole faster but process blind you know how does this fit into flowing value to the customer Mm -hmm. from bringing in stock all the way to it landing on someone's door how they interact with the website place orders like the whole value the whole process of delivering value tends to yeah not be in people's awareness yeah i have um you know been involved in the small farm world peripherally for a long time because mm-hmm. my wife runs a small farm small organic like vegetable farm um and i as i get deeper into this stuff i'm finding in our conversations that that is a very common theme in that world not that they are completely process blind like there is um there's certainly attention paid but it's like they're sort of hamstrung a little bit because like you talk to a farmer about lead time and they're like, well, it has to be in the ground for seven months to grow. So it's kind of like, I think there's some blocks to even sort of considering certain aspects of, yeah. of process. Um, there's definitely a lot of people working on efficiency, but um, I mean, it's interesting. To be fair to farmers, it's true across every single industry. The minority of people are true. Yeah. <laughs> doing like continuous improvement and a big focus there is process yeah not operations yeah yeah so. there's a lot of like how can i get through this row faster not necessarily like how can i eliminate going through this row there's yeah. there's both I'm, I'm definitely maybe throwing a lot of people under the bus here unnecessarily but I, yeah it's uh i mean i remember for you like we we were on the phone for i don't know a year before starting this podcast and I think I kind of started on lean maybe a little sooner. Quite and, a bit sooner, yeah. And the whole question was sort of like, how does this get applied to a job shop? Yeah. And so like, I think you were sort of struggling Yeah. to be like, how's this applicable? And yeah. then I think the big realization there was treating the process as the product, not the bits of aluminum that ship. Yeah. And suddenly it's like, and I, I was re-listening to the podcast, to the episode from last week. And you're sort of talking about like set up sheet templates and it was, it just struck me how far <laughs> like that that's now what you're working on. It is such a given that there's repetitive tasks in your shop uh-huh. that happen every single day and could happen a lot more efficiently. Yeah. And I think early on that was sort of like completely opaque in a funny way. No, hundred percent. Where It was just like, well, I have this job making like these suspension parts and I have this you know bike part also i don't really (laughs) i'm not (laughs) sure how to yeah anyway so like i think it's just hard to it is wild to step away from the operation sensitive piece the other thing is there's nothing to look at really with a process yeah right it's not like you walk up and i mean and i think about this like in terms of like what stuff gets shared like some machinist friend sends you a video of a of a five axis doing some wild move that's super fast Mm -hmm. and it's like wow that is so impressive i wish i could get my machine to do that right instead of being like well why does it have to move fast 
like could we use a slower machine to do the same thing yeah i think that also one one thing is a lot of the a lot of the processes are either a counterintuitive or like sometimes the the flow is reversed from like everything else that you're looking at like thinking about kanban mm -hmm. like it literally goes in the opposite direction right. as everything else in the shop so it can be hard to like you know you're standing there looking at all this stuff marching through the shop and then it just doesn't even compute until you start to really really think about it and think about the workflow that like oh these cards flow backwards as needed right like this is information flowing yeah i mean the other the base contradiction that i think was really just a total mind bender for me was like overproduction is the er waste right? it's like <laughs> the big waste and i think we get into yeah, this being like we example. need to yeah. make stuff yeah like how is it possible that making stuff could be bad if our one job here is making stuff <laughs> And so that one, just right off the bat, is like totally yeah. deep, totally deep weird. contradiction. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and then you start to see why, and a lot of it, I think, has to do with that like mismatch between like the confusion between tact time and cycle time. Mm -hmm. Of like having the wrong thing means you've allocated resources. Like those are tied up man hours, machine time in something that isn't needed yet. And so if you're then out of a different part that's where you could have gotten that time to produce it. Yeah. Because instead you go like, well, our factory's been busy. Like, we've been running overtime. Yeah, we are slammed. Past, yeah, yeah, we're slammed. Yes, we have stacks of inventory which represent human time and machine time and shop capacity that's now tied up and yeah. non-retrievable and not sellable. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. Yeah, we've had a couple of those conversations. Like, initially, like a year ago, I had this dream of, like, whenever stock came in the shop, that we would immediately process it into sawn material. Okay. And somehow that got like lodged. Oh, interesting. In in brains in the shop. And then recently I've been like, wait, wait, wait. No. <laughs> it should we shouldn't do anything to it till the very last moment that it's required. Interesting. Um the one caveat to that is like storage is much more convenient often when it's sawn. Oh. But um still I think it's been like it's just like every little in the process as a whole and then in individual operations there's all these counterintuitive things where it's like actually let's wait there could be issues we might have a rush job come in that we could use that oh, stock for right and then reorder for the stuff that's not a rush there's like so many different ways that not doing work until it's needed yeah and, and I've found that as systems in the shop are, are system, like as systems develop and get organized and clarified and like really codified and sort of nailed down that a lot of those doors start to open up where like mm -hmm. suddenly we are organized enough to know that a reorder would need to happen if we use stock for something we weren't intending to, because mm -hmm. that's not something someone needs to be like on their a game to, to see. It's just like, oh, there's a Kanban on it we're pulling it for something else that Kanban needs to go get reprocessed or whatever. Right. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. Like all this stuff just requires a degree of organization that I think, I mean, it's sort of a two way street where as I've gotten more organized in the shop, more and more of these opportunities you start to look at and go like, wait, why are we doing that? Mm -hmm. Um, I think, uh, yeah, that's an interesting point about the stock. Um, yeah, so anyway, um, operation sensitive, process blind. That's most of us all the time, I think. So <laughs> We're like, uh, like, what is it? 
little baby creatures that are born with their eyes closed. <laughs> like slowly trying to like peel those eyelids back. Yeah. But I mean, it is fun if you're into a whole bunch of confusion and hard work. Um, <laughs> I think like on the other side of it lies some major wins. I was going to yeah. say um, Eliyahu Goldrat to your point about keeping inventory, his recommendation if you read beyond the goal, mm-hmm. literally, that's the, cat in the yep. name of the book. And that's where he steps away for a moment from his uh, fiction writing and just gives you the goods. This uh, is the essay or it, actually it's, no, a, it's, a, it's a speech, right? Yeah. Or a, th- a presentation. A ta- yeah. I think yeah. something, but basically to hold uh, large inventories at the top of your supply chain Yeah. Um, to prevent the issue of not having stuff. And also it, you have invested as little as possible into your largest sink at that point. Like your yeah, largest cash. Yeah, you sink. have a huge buffer to make sure you can keep running, but you've only invested the cash in buying it and then obviously the management of storing it and having a warehouse and all that. So like sizing that appropriately is still applicable, but um, it's just interesting. His, I mean, also his system uh suppresses overproduction by release of materials mm-hmm. rather than by Kanban. But anyway, so to your point, like we've talked about this and I think I've sort of relaxed my, like we are just going to hold enough inventory for like a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. Cause realistically in our shop, that stock is pretty cheap. Yeah. Um, and running out of it is pretty expensive. Yeah. And at the moment, we have enough to do. Like, Toyota worked on the Toyota production system in-house for, I think, 10 years before they started talking to their vendors. Mm. And so if we're at a stage where we're still working on it internally, um, we don't necessarily want or have the levers to go start talking to our vendors and being like, hey, can you be more just in time? Can you make sure that when we submit an order... Like we're going to get parts within whatever, 48 hours, right? Like, yeah. like we're just not there yet. And so it's a, it's an inexpensive way of making sure stuff starts running. I think the big caveat there is like you were saying about your, you know, you got it in your head that you have to cut up stock when it gets in as fast as possible. Like uh-huh. I think it's, Im- it's hard to implement these things and then revisit them and yeah. remember to revisit them. Yeah. yeah anyway, um, yeah. Uh, so, thank you for our first Patreon subscriber. Uh, very <laughs> exciting. Um, and that's Julian. Thanks for joining the Patreon. Yeah, thank you so um, much. We're gonna try to shout out all the all the Patreon members. Um, and again, we're not exactly clear on uh, what this is going to become, but we have some fun ideas that, uh, yeah, hopefully, basically, big feedback loop back into the community and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or we'll buy a fancy yacht, one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely our shtick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so thanks, Julian. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to bring up, well, this is kind of diving into other topics, but um, I was listening to With Intolerance last week, and Dylan made a fantastic point that um, just the automation, I think specifically in machine shops, like there's other places where this isn't necessarily true, but in machine shops, automation are really not a substitute for people um, that you really need a talented team to effectively utilize automation and implement it in a way that makes money. 
Interesting. Um, and this is just something that I've been thinking about quite a lot. So it was good to kind of like hear him crystallize that. Um, uh-huh. And uh, as I watch, as I watch my team grow in their capability and like see how much more work we can put through the shop, it's made me realize that like my goal of, of automation in the short term, I think is maybe a little cart before the horse for automated, I should say automated part loading or machine tending. Okay. Um, Interesting. Not that it's not a priority, but it's just kind of made me realize like how much work we really have to do to our system as a whole before I think we can utilize it. Um, and not that it, and also that that's not like a negative because I want to develop those people and those skills anyway. And so like putting the, putting the effort in now is like really key and important versus if I were to put that in, it's kind of like, it's kind of like sawing your stock before you're ready to use it. I think if I were to put a bunch of energy into automated machine tending right now, like we wouldn't really be able to utilize it effectively. Mm -hmm. And so building out these systems and these people and like really investing in, in the team, I think it's just become very clear that that's priority number one. That's very interesting because it relates to something I've been thinking about um, with uh, basically CRM and sales. Yeah. I, I've, I'm sort of on this fence of like, I see such massive efficiency gains in automating some of the sales efforts mm-hmm. and just like making it more streamlined. But then I'm also kind of like, maybe we should hire and then work on that automation stuff. Mm. But I'm not hire sure. Hire a salesperson. Yeah, like hire someone whose role is uh, probably sales, maybe some other stuff, but sales. And then, um, you know, they they would kind of work on building that out once they figured stuff out. But I, I don't know. I feel like, hmm, I, I'm not sure. Like, you're probably right. I don't know if it's an either or. That said, there is a reality of just like there's so many hours in the day. Yeah. Like, I just wrote out all the projects that I think subconsciously are that I am currently working on subconsciously, you know what I mean? Of <laughs> yeah. like, oh yeah, and then there's that. Oh right, and then there's that. Yeah. And, and so I put them all up on the, our whip board, which is theoretically like one or two projects yeah. per person at a time. And I was like, all right, at least I'm gonna keep this realistic. It's like, here they all are. Uh-huh. And now I need to make a, a conscious move to push some of them. So like, in that way, I think pushing automation makes a lot of sense of like, mm-hmm. unless you're making active steps, don't bother <laughs> working yeah. on it at all. Right. And then also if you, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I don't, I don't know where I'm going to land on that. Cause I, I think if I put in, I don't know, it's probably 40, 50 hours of work. I could make the process much easier. And then when you onboard someone, it's way clear what the workflows are. Mm-hmm. They're much more efficient. You know, they start paying for themselves faster. Yeah. That said, like as a small business owner, I th- I've sort of been thinking a lot about hiring and I think in my head so far I've been like okay I will get the comp by like sheer force of will and hard work I will build the capacity of this company <laughs> to the point where like I'm effectively doing like two or three people's job yeah and then I will offload one of those jobs mm-hmm Instead of going like, it is clear that this function is necessary. Yeah. Instead of me taking on a lot more work, I'm going to hire someone to like build out that whole system. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, um, I mean, it's funny. I think it's 
it's partially just like the culture of machine shop work, just like everybody yelling automate, automate, automate <laughs> continuously, uh-huh. which I get. It's important. Um, and then I think I'm just having to like remember <clears throat> not being process blind, basically. Like uh-huh. we've created a lot of visibility into our process at this point. And like, that's just not the bottleneck, you know? So I'm kind right. of like, stop thinking about it, <laughs> right? Like I, I, there's so much theoretical potential there that we cannot take advantage of because it's not our bottleneck right now. Uh-huh. It'd be like that buying a, lot a super fast machine and like not having a, stop, a saw that could cut material fast enough to run it or something. Right. Huh. And so how do you square that with like the other day we were talking about, and I think this is applicable to everyone with, a piece of equipment that is a, a big part of their business and an expensive yeah. part of their business. I don't know if it's expensive, but mm-hmm. they, feel, they seem expensive. Um, <laughs> the price tag is large. <laughs> yeah. So like w- we've talked about like the cost of a new machine compared to the cost of like a pallet system that could load two machines mm-hmm. and effectively, effectively like if you're running eight hours a day, there's yeah. 16 unused hours. Yeah. So for the cost of sort of one machine, you end up with like four machines. Yeah. You can't four argue extra with machines. that. So how, yeah, you're just saying even if that was on your shop floor, it would sit. You wouldn't be able to take advantage of that capacity. Something would sit, <laughs> right? Like it yeah. might not be that. Maybe we would prioritize that <clears throat> and it would run. And then our other machines would probably sit that are mostly paid for. Right. Which maybe is better i don't know it's like no it's an interesting point i mean now that i i I say that like we've automated our mill yeah fairly successfully it doesn't run overnight yeah most of the time because that's not our bottleneck right (laughs) and so yeah that's funny yeah and i'm not saying that like this is a kick down the road forever thing yeah like i hope to be in a position in six months where we could take advantage of that I mean, the other thing is, like, I think there's also a very narrow view of what automation means. Yeah, that's why I was trying to say, like, automated machine tending specifically. Because we are trying to implement a lot of other automation. I was going to say, like, all your work for the past few weeks on post-processors, I feel like, is automating your code. Yes. So it comes out done instead of do a bunch of manual stuff. Yes. So maybe that is, like, recognizing that that is also a part of the process. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, 100%. And that rather than the operation of putting parts in a machine. Yeah. And hitting cycle start or, yeah, uh, I do anticipate a time at which that becomes our bottleneck again. I mean, I hope, right. (laughs) Right. Like that's the dream successful. That is absolutely the dream is that we, we work in a calm manner and the machines are a bottleneck. And then we just like plug and play in some machine tending. Totally. And we solve it. Right. Whereas like all this other stuff is so much work comparatively, I think. Yeah. I mean, there's off the shelf solutions for that stuff. Yeah. There's not seemingly off the shelf solutions for like how to get your house in order. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Unfortunately. So, it, which is actually kind of comforting to be like, when that's our problem, it's there. We'll fix it. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> All it takes will be some money, more or less. I mean, not Interesting. to say that. Yeah. There will be work. No, I think that's a great point, actually. Like, just a nice filter to just, I like, highlight the items that are easy easily solved when you want them to be Mm -hmm. i feel like sometimes it's easy to go drool over very fancy equipment but the fact is there's no need to like spend a lot of time like 
wishing you had it because <laughs> it's there. It's there. Like when you're ready for it, you just go buy it. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. So I mentioned we went to this bike show, uh, had the pleasure of meeting some uh, podcast listeners. Yeah. Um, always fun to hear from people who are listening to this because we're sort of like spend, you know, a couple hours a week on this and then put it out there and <laughs> don't hear back sometimes. So uh, for all of you who have dropped us messages, even if it's just like, hey, listen to the podcast, here's some feedback or here's some like of what I've seen from my experience. Um, we really appreciate it. It definitely yeah. Put some wind in our sails for sure. Uh, absolutely. Um, so that's been great. And I, I mean, not as a like, we're just here lonely in the dark. Like we do, <laughs> we have, I feel like made some great connections from this and, and people after every podcast shoot us some texts and those are really fun. Yeah. And just hearing more of that is great. So anyway, uh, Alec from White Industries uh, made, an, we met at the show. Um, mm-hmm. I guess he's been listening, which was exciting to hear. Yeah. Because they're a very cool company. Cool company. Um, Super nice guy. Yeah, so uh, so he was saying, you know, we ask, we talk about the five whys on this podcast, um, <laughs> right. and then he's, talk about he the wants, tumbler. He wants more five whys. He wants more five whys, and he was like, <laughs> kept waiting for us to get there with my tumbling situation of just like, why are we tumbling to begin with? Mm-hmm. Um, so an excellent point, um, and I had, you know, do you concede? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think there's no doubt that we should at least try to eliminate it. Basically, my fear has been if we eliminate it, that it will make the process more susceptible to like tool wear and other things mm-hmm. like that thing. I mean, its job is to sort of cover up boo-boos, right? Yeah. <laughs> it like takes off some sharp edges, deburs things, but you might add a little bit of cycle time on the CNC and eliminate that whole step. Yeah. Um, but also he pointed out that the, our blasting like bla- sandblasting is also a method of deburring it is and yeah. we're doing that anyway so yeah. we might just add cycle time there and go from like eight minutes to 12 minutes or something you know mm. i'm making that up um so that was a great kind of nudge yeah. um it would also yeah i mean it's a great motivation to to get your machining house in order as it were like yeah actually tackle to a life in a, totally like you have such a prime yes prime scenario to tackle tool life in a very like because i'm doing something so consistent day so consistent so repetitive like you are the use case for tool life monitoring 100 percent. yeah 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 so the plan i think we're gonna do some experimenting with looking for burrs i don't know what's coming off the machine like i know two spots that can get burrs as tools dull so we have to sort of figure out qc for that um, there is also the possibility of, and I we've talked about this. Um, I, this reminds me of a, a bit in one of Shigeo Shingo's books. I'm forgetting which one goes to a plant and there's people at the end of a line picking parts out of like, I forget what it was, like a punched sheet or something. And they were picking all the parts yeah. out of the sheet. Yeah. And he was like, why don't you mechanize that? And they were basically like, well, we tried and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And he was like, there's no way that doesn't work. So he implemented a thing that got like 80% of the parts out. Yeah. And then instead of having like four people, they had one person taking the remaining 20% out. Yeah. So it's, so the point here is maybe we do eliminate it. And then if we get a batch that has burrs, we deburr it, (laughs) you know, we put it in the tumbler Sure. and handle that. So, yeah, I think there's also, I don't remember who was talking about this, but I think there's a lot of potential creativity with like 
we're getting into end mill weeds here, but I'm trying to think about what the broader applicability is, is like with the end mill would be like, you use the tip of the tool most of the time. That's what wears out. And then you go deep, like you make a relief in your part or something and go deeper to do your finishing uh, with a part of the flute that isn't used. Right. So like remembering. So essentially putting in more work to the process to eliminate the the deburring requirement yeah the, like, like the broader that. context would be like not forgetting that sometimes um a tool that or a process that you use in a certain way can serve multiple purposes mm. if i was wondering differently does anyone make end mills that spin both ways and do different like not different things but like you could do i know it would mess up your like they'd be straight flutes or something i don't know it'd be weird but <laughs> You'd have another, <laughs> yeah. Motion. There are those like uh, wouldn't work router bits. I think for composites, so like where the, like, yeah, the bottom is upcut and the top is yeah. downcut. Those are pretty cool. Yeah. Now that I say that, the tool relief, be like the edge relief, would not. No. Like the back edge, yeah. Would, you'd have a cutter, and then a you'd terrible have, idea for all the listeners. <laughs> then you'd have a burnisher, um, and it would only be a burnisher <laughs> forever more. Right. Um, yeah. So, um, so we. Uh, that led me to sort of think hard about that general corner of the shop. Just like uh, basically we go tumbling and then we have a buffer that yeah. that feeds. And then the paint department essentially pulls from that buffer triggered by Kanban from our assembly area saying like, we're out of orange cams. Yeah. So paint some. And then the paint department goes and pulls from that buffer. We have a bunch of parts there that have been machined, tumbled, degreased and dried. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to switch that from being a buffer to being safety stock. So we're essentially going to put that behind bars, as it were. Uh -huh. So it's there in the case of an emergency. We have, uh, we'll have, we'll budget a little more time to making sure those are good parts, like QC them a little more deeply. Yeah. But then the goal is to just have them sit there and not use them. And then every day we will be machining the parts for the next day and have them flow through directly to paint. And so the goal is to shorten your feedback loop? Yes, exactly. So the nice thing about, the, the bad thing about a uh, first in, first out yeah. uh, FIFO uh, buffers, which we've talked about, like that's pretty common because you don't want to have stuff sit. Yeah. The issue is you extend the feedback loop between when you made something and when it actually gets used. And so then when you have a QC issue, the... Um, the environment that created that QC problem, that uh, issue has gone away. Yeah. So it's not, it's not, it doesn't exist anymore to go troubleshoot it. Or likely doesn't. Yeah. So like, you know, in a, in many examples, it's like, oh, we pulled stock that we made six months ago on this press and we see that, you know, there's a huge burr here or there's a, there's a, I don't know, it's smashed on this corner and you have no idea why. Yeah and you can't go recreate you can't go look because that ma that machine has been set up you know a hundred times on other parts yeah <clears throat> and so that's basically uh so the goal would be shorten our feedback loops for qc and then also just keep on chipping away toward less stock and um shorter lead time yeah um yeah so if we could eliminate the two hours of tumbling that reduces our lead time from when a Kanban gets triggered to when those parts are actually available to be shipped. So is now not your theoretical lead time, but your actual lead time from like when you machine a part to when it gets assembled or maybe say painted. Yeah. Like two days. It depends on the part. Some of them sit for, 
you know, are less like we move a lot more three quarter cam buckles than one inch. Mm. And so, but we have the same inventory in Uh that buffer. So those sit for maybe a week. Uh Um, Some of the cam stuff sits for a day, two days, something like that. Gotcha. Um, Yeah. So my, my feeling is we could just eliminate it completely, Uh but it's sort of scary. Yeah. And so I think we'll just treat it as safety stock. And then when you pull that stock, there's sort of a deeper investigation of like, okay, what went wrong here? You still need some small buffer, right? Unless you're treating it all as a flow cell. I think we'll be essentially treating it as a flow cell. So the Kanban's from paint will trigger machining Machining. directly. Interesting. And then... And then, yeah, and it's going to cause issues for sure. Yeah. Like the issue is <laughs> going to be basically that parts, yes, maybe they all got machined, but then like we come in and like if we extend into the night machining, then we come in in the morning and we want to throw them in the sandblaster, but they're still covered in coolant. So they yeah. still need to go degrease, dried, then sandblast. And so some yeah. of those lead times will get a little tricky you know, already in my head just to jump straight to solutions as one does, uh, you know, getting the parts out of the machine live, like as they're, as they're ready and washing them and sort of getting them prepped would be pretty ideal. But I think this will sort of start putting pressure on some of those other systems and lead to ideally more improvement. Yeah. That sounds cool. That's a good classic lowering the water level. Yes. Without the risks. Like the safety stock lets you do that. Yeah. Until you pull safety stock and realize you didn't QC it well enough. (laughs) Maybe what you should do is, how would this work? Is you pull some of your safety stock and replenish some of your safe, like a small percentage every Mm. time. Oh, that's an interesting idea. You'd have to flag what parts were that. Right. So that you knew like this came from safety stock and there's a potential issue. Yeah. And then I guess there's another tracking issue where you have to track what part went into. I don't know. That's a whole. Never mind. I said that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cool idea. Uh, in theory, there should be a way that you should be able to be checking that without mm-hmm. just like amazing QC. But maybe it is yeah. just you have to do amazing QC. Maybe what it is is your QC involves taking it all the way through the pro- a few of them all right. the way through the process. Yeah, I was just thinking maybe we put one. Maybe we have like a dedicated rack, like a de- dedicated workflow for testing parts from that safety stock. Yeah, like every time we put parts in, you know, five from that batch come out and continue through the process. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That is a nice transition to ERPs. Mm. <clears throat> Speaking of, there is theoretically a way to track all the data in your shop and push it to the right place at the right time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we started, I mentioned Coda last week, so we've continued yep. digging into that. Uh, it seems extremely promising. And of course, the second you have a big, powerful piece of software, you know, you when make you it have a hammer, everything, <laughs> everything looks like a nail. And so I'm... I'm uh, what's the word struggling, I guess would be the word to um, <laughs> limit figure your out, scope to limit the scope and also to not just like full send on all this stuff it could do when I see Toyota has specifically not done a lot of this stuff or waited years and years. Uh-huh. And, and so really what I'm talking about here is like ERPs, uh, 
what do they stand for? Enterprise resource planning. There we go. So the issue with them, and Eliyahu Goldratt has a whole a well-established rant on ERPs. <laughs> um, basically, that bullet they, pointed and there's they, they, they promise <laughs> they promise the world and then ha- haven't really delivered. Yeah. Um, for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and so I'm trying like like it's so easy to go okay it it uh, this software ties in with our Shopify. Yeah. So it knows when stuff is ordered. If we tell it, hey, this thing on the website consists of these products, yeah. it should be able to tell you, hey, by the way, you're about to run out of this thing. Right. So go ahead and order more. And in fact, it can then go order more. Yeah. I have sort of a, I think I've, in the last year, developed a little bit of kind of like a breaking point of mm-hmm. where I find, or it's like, how would I say this? There's a threshold at which it becomes very difficult. And I think that threshold is when it transitions from becoming a um, a recording device, as mm-hmm. it were, to a forward visibility tool. Yeah. yeah. And the one recording what has happened for reference and and tracking is easy relatively speaking okay and absolutely i think critical so uh-huh. useful the second one gets so messy so fast yeah and so i've sort of been trying to maintain awareness that's interesting that distinction of like the second you do the second bit and i know people have done it successfully oh yeah or for sure. somewhat successfully i think from what I understand, and I don't have enough experience to speak to this authoritatively, but it's just, also in the name planning, <laughs> right? So it should be. I think there should be a distinction. There's like er erm or something management, like, and then there's planning, and they're different, sort of different things, right? I don't know about management. Yeah. But. So like I think about this in our shop. So we could say, okay, well, we just got a bunch of orders, and so really we should start planning for that. But the funny thing is you're essentially sending information upstream faster than it's needed mm-hmm. because it indicates that your assembly station doesn't have enough capacity to process orders fast enough to pull Kanbans from stock that then trigger production. Mm-hmm. So you're essentially shortcutting that and saying like, well, we know it's going to be needed, so go ahead and machine a ton of them. And the problem with that, it, it's so awesome. Like it's very compelling. Yes. But then I think it creates two problems from what I understand. One, you have a huge QC risk of like all that stuff that's in process that's not finished. Mm-hmm. So really you should be accelerate. You should be focusing all that energy on accelerating the assembly station. So it just like turns orders way faster. And so because you don't want to increase whip, the issue with whip is, yeah. I mean, one issue is uh, quality control. Yeah. I mean, it's like, and if you imagine people trying to get through a door, Mm-hmm. Like the assembly line deals with that by putting everybody in a line, right? Okay. And then the the problem with an ERP system is if it doesn't do an effective job of putting it all of your your people, your work, you know, whatever your part numbers, your yeah, your work orders, whatever the case may be, in a line. All of a sudden, you have a crowd trying to get through a single door, right? And there's no, a lot of them don't have a good way of of. Uh, like organizing essentially all of that whip. Right. And that's when things get really messy. Yeah. So there's a sort of an expediting issue, which a lot of companies like the ERP will say like, Hey, make this next. And a lot of companies are like, 
it always says that it's never good. Yeah. <laughs> like we actually do it this way. Yeah. And so at that point you're expediting and sort of overriding the software. The other that I see is basically if you start relying heavily on a software, um, it's now critical that that software is correct. Yeah. And so people end up shutting down and this is so common shutting down warehouses, shutting down a shop to do inventory reconciliation mm -hmm. of like maybe once a quarter you go through and you say, okay, it says we have five. I'm looking, we only have three update. Yeah. You know, and you can do that live. Like there's ways of doing it that so like people have come up with solutions to these problems, mm -hmm. but also it doesn't seem like the promise, uh, in many cases actually delivers yeah seemingly and so yeah i think there's a lot of people that get a lot of value out of it yeah i think there's not as many businesses that get like you say all the value that is promised and i think figuring out what what parts of that promise are critical for you at your whatever stage of business you're in yeah. is like a key key thing to figure out yeah because it makes your job so much simpler too because implementing a full-scale ERP is a lot of work right it's a lot of training it's a lot of data entry yeah um, it's a lot of restructuring your whole process around it I mean the other thing to remember here is <clears throat> it's super exciting like that possible the potential is super exciting but it is also worth bearing in mind that all like th they say like lean data management is not managing the data <laughs> right yeah. like like there's always the first question is can we eliminate this instead of improving it mm -hmm. and i think this very much a lot of the solutions i've seen very much go like wait a second yeah the more data you give me the cooler things i can start to do yeah and so it becomes easy to start like have your organization seemingly be like the, the tail is wagging the dog of like this ERP system starts being like yeah sort of a malevolent uh, <laughs> overlord I don't yeah. know well I think the thing about it too is like a lot of those systems are not super flexible in that like how do I say this it's very easy with a paper system or with a interpersonal system like just person to person communication to adapt to changing changing scenarios um, and that's kind of why we've segmented into our paper verse our paper and digital is it's made it very easy to be like, what do we actually find to be necessary on a daily basis? What are the conversations we're having mm -hmm. adjust accordingly? Can we digitize some of it? Yeah. It's very easy to adjust those things in paper Interesting. or be like, this is not critical. We're just going to delete like we just deleted off the paper template you uh -huh. know? this is not something that's important whereas in an erp system often that part <laughs> is like critical to the structure of the erp right and there's all of these downstream chains of information that flow from that and if you don't put it in everything grinds to a halt in its system yeah so i think that is sort of it's it's yeah they are generally inflexible yeah so i think what we're gonna aim for is having kanban be paper I mean, essentially paper yeah. that will be generated by this system. And that's more a way of, it will do a few nice tricks, I think, like make ordering more efficient. Yeah. Um, well, again, you're using digital as a repository and you're yes. using paper for your forward think for your forward visibility and your and tracking. eliminating forward visibility and just sure. doing what is needed now. Yeah. Um, 
and then letting that actually oh this is the other thing <laughs> is the point of kanban is to highlight issues yeah and i think the second you start forward planning you're actually concealing sometimes yeah. issues of like yeah oh we didn't run out of parts great we're fine yeah it's like well sort of <laughs> you're sort of fine yeah uh you've just stopped improving so um so the, the yeah so the thought is to have make it generate those kanbans uh be able to like scan and and that's sort of eliminating the manual labor of creating kanban and then also the waste of find like finding a link to the thing then that kanban gets damaged then you have to refind the link even though you've already done that work yeah. right so it just like stores it yeah um and then on the erp side sorry on the like where it gets sort of vaguely closer to erp is like i don't like i think we'll we'll, we'll play with some other features um like pulling data from our Shopify and stuff like that. But yeah. I think that's going to be more around planning our Kanban structure, like mm -hmm. minimums, lead times, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause like right now we don't have a good way of updating inventory levels based on current demand. Uh. And over time, like we just, we just had a major, uh, I mean, it's not a huge problem. We fixed it, but uh, <laughs> breakdown in, in pin Kanbans uh. where we kept running out of pins. And then we were like, wait a second. We just launched a product that uses two pins per piece uh -huh. and didn't update any of the quantities, right? Like right. now we've essentially tripled our pin uh, demand. Yeah. And haven't so I think we'll start to do some of that. And yeah. then I think the, the next piece is starting to deal with some of our, basically the... Uh, CRM side, yeah, which I guess is one of the pillars of VRP. But sure. yeah. Um, yeah, cool, cool. Well, I think that's about time for us today. Yeah. Did you have anything else you wanted to touch on? Um, a, a brief callback to uh, last week's quote of um, you know, ninety percent, the and then uh, the other, the remaining ten percent taking the other ninety percent of the time. Um, I've been thinking about our product development. And just noticing that it's really easy for me to get products to that 90% completion mark where yeah. it's like, all right, this is like, this is the bones. And then you can just spend so much time, the other 90% of the project, <laughs> refining and refining when you think it, like it feels like it's super close and then it just like needs one more thing. And then you try another iteration and it's like, oh, that's not quite it. And on and on and on. And I think I'm seeing in our R&D uh, side of things that I think is the major waste to solve and I think I want to come up with more explicit ways of um, working through that of like documenting what are the remaining out like what are the outstanding items to get a product across the finish line and sort okay. of keeping that with the product and sort of saying like okay well let's solve them or let's can this project yeah. and I think right now it's sort of neither happens and then they just sit because it's like you get into the really hard part of like it's kind of frustrating because you're making these tiny tiny tweaks and then it's like oh i think this will be it yeah oh that's not it <laughs> okay maybe this time so yeah we have a lot of projects that are near that 90 percent mark mm. and i'd like to get some of them across the finish line yeah anyway work in process like non-finished improvements are the worst improvement <laughs> um same with product development yes a, a lot of organizational time of, in it yeah and no benefit yeah besides 
some satisfaction that you figured out some stuff. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, with that, we will see you later in the week. You can find me on Instagram at lichen underscore mfg on the internet at lichenprecision.com. And you can find me at austere underscore manufacturing on Instagram and austeremfg.com. The podcast is at Incremental CI on Instagram, and also we have a Patreon. The link is in the description. Please check it out if you get value from this podcast. Um, hop on there and, uh, yeah, show some love. Click some buttons. Click some buttons. Talk to you soon.